You are listening to the Dabble Co. Podcast. I'm your host, nurse practitioner, Claire O'Brien. In healthcare, we have so many questions about what's trending versus what's actually the truth. So on this show, we're going to get to the bottom of it. It's health, it's wellness, it's beauty, explained by the people who actually know what they're talking about. Hey guys, welcome back to the Dabble Co. Podcast. I am your host, Claire O'Brien. I'm a nurse practitioner. And today I have a friend, a real life friend, a lovely human nurse practitioner, Kira Mendenhall. Um, She is an NP in the CVICU um, at a big, big hospital. So we'll we'll talk about a lot of that today. But Kira, thank you so much for coming on and taking the time because you're like one of the busiest people that I know. So thank you for doing this. I really appreciate it. Oh, you know, I'm happy to be here. Always love to chat with you, Claire. How many yoga classes have you already taught today? Just two, just two, don't worry. Just only just only taught two, haven't taken any, so we're okay. Well, you're ahead of me, um, for sure. Okay, so <laughs> tell everybody a little bit about kind of your background and your, your school. I know we were kind of chatting before, and I, I have a lot of people who listen that want to be nurses or nurse practitioners or work in the hospital setting. And so just, how did you land where you are? Um, so I am, like you said, a nurse practitioner in the CVICU and I, um, went to nursing school. I, I went to undergrad at Clemson and then I had a psychology degree. I thought I wanted to go to dental school. Like I've always wanted to do medicine. I love medicine. I love science. Yeah. Like I was a chemistry um, major at Clemson, chemistry and psych, and um, always loved doing that. And so I knew I wanted to go in some kind of medicine. And then after I graduated college, I like didn't really know what I wanted to do, I guess, anymore. Um, and so I was a nanny for a family and the mom of the family was a CRNA. Oh, yeah. And she was like, you have to go to CRNA school. She was like, it is like the sweetest gig um and so I like that fall after I was their nanny like enrolled to get my um, prerequisites for nursing school and then went to nursing school and then after I graduated nursing school I was working as a nurse like in the ICU and I interviewed for anesthesia school and then I went to the OR to shadow and I was like I hate the OR. Thank you. So. This, this place sucks. <laughs> it's cold. You can't touch anything. It smell. Have you ever smelled burning flesh like with a bovie? I mean, I think the OR is the worst place. <laughs> I hate it so much. Yes. I'm, I'm like right there. Yes. Right. It's, Carry on. <laughs> yes. So like, I mean, I work in a CV now. So, so many of the nurses are trying to go to anesthesia school because that's kind of like a funnel to CRNA school. And I um like... I'm always like, I hate the OR. It's the worst place. There's no one to talk to, no one to hang out with. Like I love being at work because I get to chat all day. (laughs) And when you're in the OR, you're with surgeons and no one wants to talk to you. Like you're an accessory sitting in the back. So anyways, so I decided I didn't want to do that. And so then I looked into NP school. Um, I ended up between all of that and like going back to grad school, working in the ICU as a nurse, a bedside nurse for about uh, eight years. And then I went to MP school, graduated, and then I worked, got a job in a different ICU. So I've worked in critical care for a long time. And 
I love it a lot. I would say, you know, I always tell people go back to school because bedside nursing, it's fun for a little bit until it's not fun anymore. It was kind of how I felt about it. Like, you know, you hear so much about healthcare burnout and that is definitely something that can happen with bedside nursing. So I am super grateful that I went back to school and did all that and love my job now. 100%. I don't think, you know, there's such a range of what nurses can do. And so, you know, I think it's really important um, for people like if if you know nurses, if there are nurses in your, your life, all nurses work really hard. There is no one that works harder than a bedside nurse. Like, it's just 100%. It is a physicality that is difficult to explain. Like, so, and, and, and from ICU, so I never worked in the ICU. I, I only ever worked on the floor. So I worked med surge at the VA, which even more physical, right? even right? more physical. So people, probably, yeah. a lot of people listening probably don't know what that means. So, so, and we'll talk about the difference between just a regular floor and then, and then the ICU. So I never took care of patients who were like on a ventilator or on these drips that were like keeping them alive. Um, but I did take care of gosh, I mean, everything, people who had had major surgeries and, or like could, you know, still couldn't get out of the bed or you had to like physically take them. I mean, the, and also the VA, it is mostly men. And I'm like a, you know, 25 year old, you know, like 115 pound girl, like trying to take a 250 pound man to the bathroom by yourself. And anyway, I mean, it's difficult to explain the physicality, at least on the floor. And then then on the ICU, um, I mean, tell me, tell me what's like, what, how do you explain the ICU to people? Um, I mean, I guess it's just kind of, you're taking care of the sickest people that there are, um, especially working at such a big teaching academic hospital Uh um everyone is like super complex because you get you know everyone from the whole state gets shipped to you because they need a higher level of care um so I mean I love the ICU because it's super fast-paced um and you have to like use your brain um so that's something that I've always loved about it and I love the complexity of the patients and you know everyone is on all these different medications to keep them alive, maybe on a ventilator, maybe on continuous dialysis. Like, I mean, they'll be in a room. I I was actually talking to one of my attendings the other day and he said he remembers when he did his training that the ICU rooms were small and Mm -hmm. then they keep getting bigger because Mm -hmm. we keep making more machines that can keep you alive in different ways. And he was like, what's going to happen next? He was like, in 20 years, are we going to have like floating machines? Because like, you need all this space because these people are in multi-organ system failure. And by that, I mean like their livers are in failure, their kidneys, you know, some kind of brain dysfunction. And so you're literally keeping them alive, which makes the reward that much better. But then also so many times it also makes it a lot more draining um, because you don't always see the best outcomes. Yeah. And, and then floor nursing, you may have, I mean, like for us, a high, like, your ideal would be five or six patients, but there were days when you'd have like seven or eight patients, um, which is crazy. I don't know if you've listened to my podcast with Maggie Rollins when she went to New York during the like COVID mm-hmm. surge and she had like yeah. 40, like yeah. 40 patients. I'm like 40. I don't even understand. I, my brain, I couldn't wrap my brain around it. 
So you'd have like seven or eight patients would be a heavy load and super physical. You're like running off, literally running from room to room. Whereas ICU, you might have one or two because it's like, okay, if somebody goes to the bathroom on the floor, you get your kind of crew together and you, you're like turning them. And I mean, imagine like someone going to the bathroom in their bed that weighs like 150 more pounds than you do. And you've got to clean them right. without moving them. Whereas like then in the ICU, it's like, okay, now if we have to move them at all, like they, they might die. So it, it's just like a funny balance of they're both incredibly difficult for, for different reasons. And that's why, so in the ICU, you might have what one or two patients is two patients. I think is like a lot, maybe over two is considered unsafe. So if you've been following DabbleCo and me for any length of time, you know that I'm super careful with anybody that I endorse or any partnership or brand here. So the goal is always to share evidence-based medicine and things backed by actual science with our audience and our followers. So I was thrilled when BetterHelp approached me to do a partnership with them. So thank you so much to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode. BetterHelp is an online platform that connects you to counseling in an incredibly convenient and affordable way, which I think are the two biggest barriers to counseling, access and affordability. So I was actually really surprised when I looked up their rates for counseling. They were a third of what I feel like I've ever heard and what I've personally paid. Um, It solves both of the problems with literally the click of a button on the internet. So I have personally seen the benefits of counseling. I know firsthand how important it is, and I know it plays a crucial role in mental health. So check them out, and they will know that I sent you, and you'll get 10% off your first month of counseling if you head to betterhelp.com slash dabbleco. Um, so it's super easy, betterhelp.com slash dabbleco. Thanks, guys. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I worked for in med surge, so on the floor for like a year, and I was like, screw this. I mean, because you are running ragged, you know? Yeah. And um, so, I mean, yeah, as an ICU nurse, we would have one or two patients, but it's still so physically demanding, like you said. I was actually talking to one of my friends that she's in medical sales now. Um, we were just talking this morning, and she was saying how she, like, the perks of her job are better, but she feels so much less reward from doing yeah. it. Um, yeah. And still, she's still working as a nurse, but she was a bedside nurse before. And I was saying how, you know, the further away you get from the bedside, the less physically, emotionally demanding it usually is, not always, but it's also right takes away the reward. And like you're taking away the reward with the demand. So it's a real tricky balance I guess to like find a place where you can be happy and thrive um instead of like kind of falling into the overwhelm of it all oh I think I forgot to like finish my thought when I got off on a tangent about bedside nursing but uh, all that to say if you are listening and you know a nurse that actually works in the hospital on the floor taking care of patients whether it's med surge step down ICU like just know they are working physically working their asses off. Like they they are in a physically demanding job all day, every day. Um, And I I don't know, like you said, I I don't know how people continue to do it for their entire career. I mean, it's just so overwhelming physically. But um, so one thing I wanted to talk about, so Kara and I are both probably um, exceptionally tired of talking about the COVID. but you, you are 
you know, taking care of the sickest of the sick. And, and Kira posted something on Instagram yesterday um, about one of the nurses that she works with who he was, he was previously a photojournalist and then went back to nursing school. Is that right? Yes. So he, um, he said he was a photojournalist for 20 years. Uh Um, and then he went to nursing school. He was in one of my friend's classes. Um, and she probably graduated four or five years ago. So pretty recent, but he's, I mean, older. Um, I don't, don't want to guess at his age, but I would guess like don't out him late forties, maybe. Yeah. (laughs) Um, so he had a full, a full career beforehand. Um, And he actually was saying how whenever he was working as a photojournalist, he went into an ER um, and he was like, wow, this is like really cool. And that was kind of what sparked his interest in it later in life. Um, But his name's Alan. And so he works currently as, well, did you have a question related to that? Okay. No, no, I just wanted to talk about, so, (laughs) so he, which is classic. Um, No, he, so, (laughs) so to, to quickly summarize before you continue the story, um, he is doing photo, like he's doing a photojournalist or photo documentation. My God, I'm sorry. I'm like butchering these terms of COVID patients in the ICU right now. And so that's what I wanted to talk about is like, cause you know him personally and, and, and are seeing this and, and working the, with these patients. So I just kind of, you know, I yeah. wanted to kind of touch on that and what he's doing and what you've seen. Yeah. Um, so he um, obviously there, I mean, a lot of the problem with COVID and I think if you're left or right or in between or wherever you are, like so much of it has been politicized um, when yeah. you're seeing it from the inside, it's not, it's like, well, there's no politics, like people are dying. And I mean, if you can say mismanagement or, you know, that's a whole nother tangent that I'm not eloquent enough to speak on. Um, but mm-hmm. the, you know, there's so much that you see as a, working in the hospital that is like the human side of it all and right. the devastation um, to not only the patients and their and their family members, but also the staff and like just being worked to the bone. Um, and so a lot of that hasn't really been shown. And a lot of it is related to HIPAA. You know, HIPAA didn't right. used to be a thing. And so you could be behind the scenes seeing things. And now a lot of administration, a lot of healthcare, I don't want to say hides behind HIPAA, but there's like, can be a lot of secrecy related to things and it can all be veiled under the thing of quote unquote HIPAA, which obviously I want to protect my patients and their identities. But I think there's also a lot of people that would love to share their stories. um, And a lot of healthcare people that would love to share their stories that is prohibited because of that. So anyways, so with HIPAA, that said, re- really you know, quickly, I think people have no clue, like people would throw the term HIPAA around like it's, I don't know the word chemical, but so HIPAA is the health insurance portability and accountability act, which has really only been around for like mm, 20 years, maybe like it's a pretty new thing yeah. that says, Hey, it, when you're using insurance, there are certain, well, actually, I, it actually now doesn't even apply to insurance only, but there's, there's only a certain amount of things that you can and can't share about patients. Like things have to be de-identified. Patients have to sign consent if you're going to use anything that has anything to do with their medical information. Um, so 
people are yes. kind of throwing around HIPAA, talking about the vaccine thing, which is like, no, that's actually really not related to HIPAA at all. But but yes, you're you're totally right because of HIPAA. I think everybody, particularly large in, institutions, were all a little bit afraid of, you know, violating HIPAA. You can have these yeah. massive fines. You can get the patient can sue you. I mean, and it it, it can be a nightmare. So. So how, so with him documenting all of this on the inside, like how is he, can people kind of sign consent if they're in the ICU? Like, how's that working? Yeah. So he said that basically for like, since COVID started, he's been trying to get access to be able to do this. And it's been, been jumping through a lot of hoops, but he was really persistent about it. Um, and then I think they finally approved it kind of at the beginning of Delta uh-huh. Um, and so every day or every month for one day, he works in the MICU is his full-time job. Um, so uh-huh. the medical ICU and he goes there and he photographs patients that he has their consent. Um, and so they're saying, yes, I will participate in a photo documentary of uh-huh. COVID and give my, you know, interpretation of it. Um, and so he uh, came to our unit yesterday, actually, and he was saying how he had gotten consent from all the patients themselves, not the family members. And this was the first time it had been the family member because the patient that I had was so, so, so sick. You know, he was on ECMO and couldn't, yes, couldn't sign consent. But his wife, uh, he's young, the patient's young, like 30 years old. And his wife was very one had met um, Alan in the MICU and got close to him and then yeah. also really wanted to participate. So she, yeah. so in that case, she was like, I think that he would want this. This is what I want. So um, he's done this amazing pictures and articles and it's just seeing everything. Like I said, the human side of it all that right. you don't see a lot um, and talking about you know, the fear and then being in the hospital and people that are so scared and their family members can't come visit them and just like seeing all this stuff that we see every day and the public doesn't really get to see. And he's not doing it with a bias or with a spin or with any intention. He's just like a person that wants to show what he sees, I guess. It's pretty wild. And you said something a minute ago that just sometimes can bring tears to my eyes about, you know, I don't care if you're right or left or in the middle. And I'm like, what planet are we living on that it matters your political affiliation, you know, whether this disease or virus is or is not killing people. Like it doesn't matter. And like you said, when you get, you get COVID and so something we need to talk about, I think is survivor, something called survivor bias, survivorship bias. And that's like, oh, well, I got COVID and I was fine. So like everybody else should be fine. Well, that's your personal bias because you had it and you were fine. And that's what's happening over and over and over again to the, to the point where people have, you know, we have enough survivorship bias that now people have just kind of stopped caring. And I think Omicron is changing things because it's so, um, appears to be so much more, um, uh, less virulent than the other strains like Delta. So it kind of gotten to the point where we're like vaccinated, you know, we're going to start kind of living our lives again, pretty normally. And then Delta really right. changed, kind of brought me back around to like, this thing sucked. Like I do not want this. And, um, and right. I think you're right. I think because what people are typically seeing is coming from a news outlet 
And so it's really difficult to humanize stories, any, any story. It's kind of like you can watch a documentary about, you know, cancer or like an impoverished com- uh, country or whatever. But when you actually have a family member that has the cancer or when you actually right. go on the trip to the impoverished country and see what's going on there, like you're, it completely humanizes things that you've really been, been able to detach and dissociate, which is really a privilege. I mean, that if you've had the, the, you've had the privilege of not seeing what's, what's going on on the inside and seeing people. I mean, I've had that privilege. I, I, I mean, I can say I've had the privilege of being able to, to choose how I feel about this without seeing firsthand the, the, the devastation. Um, but okay. I want to go back to this guy. So so he's signed consent for his story. To I want to say one thing about that really quick. Sorry, yeah. I just want to say one thing about that real quick. But just like, also patients that are like, I mean, I'm 36. So this guy's 31, you know, and it's like, people can do whatever they want on CNN, Fox News, whatever media outlets. And then like, it just stops you in your tracks when you come in and you see someone that's younger than you yeah. with children, that's yeah. probably not going to live. Yeah. So I, I, I hated to, I hate to go there, but I wanted to say this guy's 30, you know, we've gotten into this habit of, oh, well, did he have comorbidities? You know, was he obese? Does it matter? I have comorbidities. I've got several, you know, like does do I not matter? So he's 30. Right. He's whether he was or not. I mean, unless I, I don't know, did he, doesn't it, which he did not his. have comorbidities he's not yes I mean he's not but it's yeah like you said it's kind of irrelevant it's it should be irrelevant but that's again like somehow become part of the debate and he's on ECMO so so explain to people what ECMO is um so I guess in a, sh- a short way to say it but it is a machine that takes all of the blood out of your body via a big big cannula that's either like in your groin or in your chest and takes that blood acts as your heart so acts as the pump there is an actual pump on it takes it puts it through an oxygenator that's acting as your lungs and then delivers that blood back to your body so that your heart and lungs are being essentially bypassed and taken over by a machine so that you can hopefully overcome whatever illness it is that has gotten you in the state to a point where you can be taken off a bypass and then live on your own. So it's literally taking the blood out, putting the oxygen in, and then putting back. Like there is, I don't think there are sicker patients than patients that are on ECMO. Would you agree? Right. Yes. Agree. 100%. I think the survive, like the survival rate of people on ECMO is like in the toilet. I mean, it's basically like, oh, they're on ECMO, like they're probably not going to live, you know, like they're, they're probably not going to Yeah. Make it. And it depends. I mean, I have, I take care of adults. So adults are a lot different. Children are a lot more resilient. Mm. Um, but, you know, and it depends what you went on ECMO for. There can be obviously like such a wide variety of illnesses that can cause you to go on that, whether it be like some kind of heart failure or lots of patients have had to go on ECMO because of COVID, um, which, you know, to rest their lungs essentially. But um, the survival in general, I have no idea what the actual statistics are, but very, very, very poor. I did ECMO as a nurse before I became a nurse practitioner. And 
it's just it's a, it's a grueling, a grueling machine. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And I saw, you know, I saw this guy on now granted this was on TikTok, but still that this was like part of his story. There was this younger guy who had been on ECMO a few years ago for some, for, before COVID, it was even a, a thought in anyone's mind. And the reason he had started the account was to like educate people about what ECMO is. And this dude is saying, he was like, yeah, you're sedated sort of, but like not really because there's only a certain level of sedation before, you know, before you then compromise the patients, like literally everything. And so he was like, I, I was pretty much aware of like what was happening. And it, it, he said it was like the most unbelievable torture that like he's ever experienced. And I think that's pretty common. Like, I think, I think he was saying, thank you, TikTok man for educating me. Cause I've never worked with ECMO <laughs> patients. So I'm like, I yeah, sounded legit, but it, what he was describing is he's like that. And that's pretty common is that they have some sense of like awareness and how, like how painful it is. Yeah. I would say that varies kind of wildly. Um, yeah. you, I'd say a rule like anesthesia or you know, sedation, pain control, whatever, is you want to use the absolute bare minimum because right. it causes bad side effects in every other area, especially neurologically. Um, so we try to keep patients as awake as we can. We do have some ECMO patients that are completely awake, um, but some of them have to be really sedated. It's just, it varies wildly, I guess. That's unfreaking. It, so basically that would be like, I mean, the only thing you could even compare it to would be like if you were having surgery while you were awake, you know, cause you've got this yes. got giant tubes. When you said, so when Kira said cannula, I'm like cannula slash garden hose like shoved yeah, sorry, tube. in various like spots in your body, sucking the blood out and putting it back. Like, anyway, all that to say, um, for the love of God, please get vaccinated. Um, and, yes. and you know, there's a, there's a really good podcast that I listened to, um, this doctor in California, who's his name's Zubin Demania and his podcast is called Z-Dog, um, Z-Dog MD. And sometimes I post him and, and I do think, you know, maybe Ed and I will do a whole episode on like the subtle nuances of like getting back to normal and, and masking and all that. But I think the medical community, I mean, in general agrees, you know, about vaccinating. Um, but he does, he does a really good job of explaining really how difficult it is on, on both sides. You know, no one's, no one's winning this, like public health officials aren't winning. Yeah. People in the hospitals aren't winning. Children who are being kept out of schools aren't winning. You know, like the parents right. that are trying to work from home and their kids and no one, no one's like, it's shitty for everybody. And I think everybody's just trying to do the best that they can. Um, yeah. Anyway, but gosh, so, so I'll post in the show notes, I'll post, um, the nurse who's doing the photojournalism, there was an article in NPR. So I'll put that in the show notes so that people can, can see and, and read about it. Yeah. Um, and then and they were, they were filming him. Yes. Sorry. They were filming him yesterday for CBS morning. So they're going to do like a whole segment on it. Oh, awesome. Um, I'm a today yeah. show girl, but I could be commenced to watch a CBS this morning. Yeah, that's okay. Okay. Yeah. Supplements and vitamins are just a part of so many of our daily lives now. So how do we know what to choose in a brand? 
My family personally uses Thorn. Thorn has partnerships with hospitals and universities across the country, including the Mayo Clinic and Charleston's own Medical University of South Carolina. You can order any Thorn product through me when you create your account at thorn.com slash u slash dabbleco and you'll receive 15% off and free shipping on all your future orders. When you create your account, you will just be prompted to confirm Dabbleco as your referral and the discounts applied in the cart after you create your account. Again, that's thorn.com slash u like the letter u slash Dabbleco. And you can also find the direct link in the show notes. This is a good transition to the other parts of your life. So I first met Kira um, in one of my favorite yoga studio in town, uh, yoga exercise. I don't even know if you, think you could call it a yoga studio, exercise boutique house. Yeah, it's just, you, it? you know, whatever you want, whatever you want. <laughs> whatever you want, it's there. So called The Works. Um, crazy, crazy, crazy yoga. <laughs> it is, yeah. If you want to, uh, I took my brother, my little brother one time, went with me and my sister-in-law and he almost threw up halfway through and at the end, and he's like athletic, I mean, he's pretty athletic and yeah, anyway, so, but it was, it's so much fun. It's just like high energy, super fun. So that's where I met you. Um, and, uh, and additionally, Kira is an incredibly talented artist. So I'll, we'll also put in there like your handles and where everybody can find you. But so what, what was it that, that made you say like, okay, I have a, you have a full-time job that's freaking hard. Like, again, you're in the bedside, you're in the hospital and you're like, you know what else I'd like to do is like teach yoga at six o'clock in the morning. (laughs) um well I guess the 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 preliminary thought is I can never sit down um so that's that's the beginning thing to know I have more energy than and than anyone you've ever met I am my father's daughter and he is running I'm he runs around all the time and that's me um but so I grew up like in a uh an environment, I guess it wasn't really my house, but I went to like a very good, like, you know, expensive prep school, that whole thing. And it was very like, I always felt like my whole life, like I had to be a doctor, a lawyer, or like some big business person. And so that was like where I was going to go. Um, and so once I went to nursing school and then I went to NP school and then I graduated and had what I guess is my terminal degree, um, I finally felt like I was like, oh, what else is there out there in the world for me to do, you know? And, um, so then I, um, went, I started making art, like at our dining room table, um, me and my fiancés and just for fun, because I was like, well, what else am I going to do with all my free time? Because I'd been in school so long, it felt like, I just had all the free time in the world. So I started um, making art and um, that kind of blossomed to its its own little thing, I guess. Um, and then I decided, well, I still have so much free time. I guess I'll go to yoga teacher training and did that and then ended up um, teaching at the studio that we met at. I would imagine that you see and hear not to stereotype yogis. I mean, if I still lived in Charleston, I, I used to go, I mean, I went to the two or three days a week at least, but there's a lot of, um, 
you know, that's part of the wellness community. It's not part of the medical community. And I feel like I had some really good and interesting conversations with people there who would like kind of come and find me, like seek me out and be like, Hey, I read this. Like, what do you think? What do you think about this? There's so much um, woo, if you will. Um, do you, do you find that? Like, how, how do you navigate that going from, and, and is it difficult, like emotionally to, to go from a space where you may hear people just, you know, doing, doing things or taking things or whatever that you're like, Oh my God. Like, does that ever make you want to like scoop crazy out with a spoon to then go from that <laughs> to like the sickest people in the world? Like, how do you deal with that? Cause it's, re- it's really hard for me, I, but, and I'm not in that, the woo space as much, nearly as much as I used to be. I now go to like a regular, very boring gym. Yeah. Yeah, I guess um, I have always been into very woo-woo things, which I mean, I know what you're saying, like the dichotomy of being in it is. the most Western, Western medicine. Like I, I work in the CBICU and there is no more Western medicine than CBICU right. in America. Yeah. yeah. And um, then also, but I've always like been like a meditator. Like, I mean, there was a full moon two nights ago and I gave my crystals a bath and like put a put a uh, cup out so it could be in the moon so I could drink it in the morning. So I'm like very woo-woo in that way. Which, and that, okay. So um, now, first of all, I'm fascinated one that you put, I don't understand anything that you just said <laughs> about your crystals, but, but like none of that's going to hurt you. So I'm like, I'm hearing that and I'm like, all right, you're fine. Carry on, C- carry on with your crystals. Also like, Ooh, what gets in the water overnight? Like it, what, it, whatever. Anyway, it just gets on. charged with good energy, Claire. Okay. Um, all right. but all, all, all that to say, and like, I'm a person that like, I know this kind of is a triggering word for a lot of people, but like, I oh, believe God. in like manifesting and energy energy and like all that stuff that is very much me I mean everyone that knows me would vouch that I am like big into energy yeah and I think I think a lot that like a positive attitude and a positive mindset and like believing the best in people and believing the best can happen that like that's going to get you really far and then sometimes you run up against shit that's a lot bigger than that and then you need the big guns, you know? And if you came to work with the people I work with, these people are so brilliant. Like they blow my mind every day and they care so much for their patients. And like, I never go to work and I think like, oh, how can I believe in all this? Because it's not a belief. (laughs) It's like science, you know? And it's been proven, like everything we do is evidence-based. Now the stuff I do at home, like, bathing my crystals. I don't know how much evidence based there is in that, but like, you know, that's sending positive energy into the world. Like that's the stuff that like makes me happy. So okay, I guess I, here's I've the always, thing. All right, let's yeah. go manifesting. So like I, I was just talking this morning about not, not manifesting. I was calling it self-fulfilling prophecy. So like same thing manifesting, I think you could say is a similar and, and <laughs> stay with me. So like manifesting is no different to me than the placebo effect, which is extremely real. So if you give people in certain settings, a placebo, which means like, like in a clinical trial, you, some people are going to get the real medicine and some people are going to get the placebo, which is nothing, but placebo can be with anything. A sugar pill. Yeah. Just, it just, placebo just means a a nothing, but, but it also is like proven 
that placebo effect, people think they're getting a medicine or getting a treatment. They think they're getting whatever it is. So, I mean, that's no different than manifesting it, like thinking and believing that you're doing something, you're doing something that's going to work, whatever it is, that's manifesting. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. Manifesting and placebo effect are essentially the same thing in, in two different worlds. Like manifesting is the woo word probably for, for placebo. Yes. yes. I mean, manifesting obviously has a connotation of kind of privilege, you know, which is I'm privileged to be like an upper middle class woman white woman in America that has like a lot of means and I've never had a health problem in my life yeah so like it's easy for me to say oh like I want to stay positive about things um but like I also just as equally believe in medicine you know and I'm I'm not trying to push medicine on anyone like I think that I probably personally um of my life would do a lot less medicine than most people I see at the hospital but I also think that the advancements in medicine are amazing and I am you know fully supportive of people doing whatever they need to do to feel healthy or to get to a better place um so I I mean I understand the dichotomy I guess of it but also at the same time it's never been something that's been a struggle within me. Um, I don't think a lot of people within the yoga community that I am very close to, um, they don't really come to me with their crazy, I guess I shouldn't see crazy, but like non-scientific opinions because I'm not really here for it. Um, But I think the balance of the two is something that has like, made me very happy and made me maybe not get so burned out by like the medical community yeah and talk about your art like just so I have two pieces and I'll share them on Instagram when I when our podcast comes out but um I mean your art is just happy it's just like happy are you ever do you ever come home from work and you're like I want to paint like a black hole of death because that's what I saw today (laughs) um no, because, I, well, I guess a lot of people will say that their art is a way that they kind of express their emotions and that they, um, so are you happy all the time? No, 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 no. That's Cause your art is happy. Mine is not an, ex- <laughs> mine's not really, I am very happy, but my art's not necessarily like an expression of how I feel. My art is like how I want the world to feel. Uh, and like how I want other people to feel like so my like unofficial motto which is so pretentious to have a motto but is spread joy mm-hmm. and to me like what I love is like sharing happiness with other people yeah yeah and you do and your art is just like happy and lovely and shiny and colorful and it's it's awesome very colorful very colorful um okay so where can yes. people where can people find you um people can find me my instagram is my name which it's a mouthful but uh my name is kira mendenhall and it's k-i-i-r-a-m-e-n-d-e-n-h-a-l-l and i'm sure claire will put that somewhere I will. and then my website 
is the same, kiramendenhall.com. And my email address is also the same, kiramendenhall at gmail.com. So, um, yeah, I, um, it's like kind of linking back, I guess, to what we were talking about Alan earlier. And he was saying how, you know, him doing a a day, a month of photographs, his like, um, is like how he prevents being burnt out. Yeah. And that's kind of how I feel about my art. Like I have something outside of the hospital when the hospital sucks. Like I'm like, Oh, I have this other thing to lean back on. So it's like helped me so much be a caregiver. Yeah. Yeah. Which is what so many people in medicine are experiencing right now. I mean, people are just exhausted. So I know we said it earlier, but if you know, someone who's working in the hospital, particularly a nurse, an MA, an LPN, they're working their ass off and, and, but, but so is everybody. And it's, it's just, it's a tough time right now, but spread joy and you are, and you do. Yes. Spread joy. Well, thank you, Kira. This has been awesome. And yeah, I will totally. So I will put all that in the show notes. Um, the photojournalist Kira's website and her Instagram handle and guys, as always, thank you so much for listening. Um, rate, subscribe, share with your friends. That's how I continue to get really good guests and I'll see you next week. Thank you.